0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. I'm going to read one verse of scripture here. The Bible says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, and of faith unfeigned. Amen. Today, I want to, with the help of the Lord, preach from this thought. I want to speak about unwavering faith. Now, it is for sure that our faith has been tried. It hasn't just been tried in the last few months. It has been tried in the last few months, but it, that, that wasn't the genesis of the trying of our faith. And so we have to somehow learn how to have unwavering faith. Amen. May the Lord bless you and you can be seated. It's a privilege to be in the house of the Lord and it is a privilege to be here with you. I promise you that. In the New Testament, we're introduced to a man by the name of John the Baptist. and John the Baptist, we recognize him by several things that have become identifiers. We can mention a lot of those things, but for sure we recognize John the Baptist as that voice crying In the wilderness, John was a man who was not afraid to speak up and go against, if you please, the culture of his day. And when people rejected the message of righteousness, John, he just merely stood and preached anyway. And I will tell you today that we are where we are because someone before us decided that they were going to stand and they just kept standing. Amen. In 1940, this local church was founded, and I'll promise you from that day until this day, there were many opportunities perhaps for people to grow discouraged and despondent and to wonder whether or not it was worth the effort, especially in the embryonic days. But aren't you thankful that somebody just said, we're going to stand and we're going to keep going? And because they kept going, nothing mystical or magical about it, because they just kept going, we have a foundation not only that we can stand on today, but we have a foundation upon which we can build, and I'm thankful for that. Now, the church that John the Baptist pastor didn't did not and does not look like the churches that we think about when we think of church today. We live in a very privileged hour in a in a very privileged part of the world. Where when we think of church, our mind goes to beautiful buildings and padded pews and and uh, controlled climate. We think of uh, adequate facilities in which to to do almost anything that comes to mind. But that was not the church of the day of John the Baptist. He preached anywhere he could lift his voice, find an audience, and declare that it was time to repent. He had one message: the clarity and the boldness of of the message of John the Baptist. I realize that he was somewhat, from what we can gather, we may refer to him as eccentric, but I don't think it was just what John looked like that drew the crowds. I don't even think it's what John sounded like that drew the crowds, but I believe it was the message of John and the conviction with which he preached that message that drew crowds. So much so that the preaching and the ministry of John the Baptist had so, such a widespread influence until that influence made it to the king's palace. And even King Herod had the opportunity to testify before Herod. Now, they weren't together because they were best friends, because John the Baptist was preaching against, directly against what Herod was doing. And if you know anything about Herod's lifestyle, he was... He was not living a life that was worthy of praise. And so John the Baptist just withstood him for that. But yet, in all of that, Herod had an appreciation for him. He had a respect for him. And I'll tell you today that that there are people that do not ascribe to the message that I preach or the message that you live, the lifestyle that we live, but they respect the stand that you take and the life that you live. Amen, Uh, we're gonna keep praying until one day they walk in this church or another apostolic church somewhere and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But do you know what? If that day never comes, we're gonna still stand because I understand something about what we're speaking of here today. And that is this, that they may not believe what you believe, but they respect what you believe and they would be horribly disappointed if we decided no longer, no longer, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to live like you're living, go where you go and do your thing. And they may embrace that on the outside. But I'll promise you they would be a withering flower in their heart because we failed to stand. It could have been very tempting for John the Baptist, especially in the king's palace, to kind of dial back his message and water it down just a little bit. I mean, after all, I am talking to the king and he could have me beheaded. He could have me in prison, but not John. John. John had unwavering faith. John had that faith that said it's going to stand today and I'm going to stand tomorrow. And I believe that John was a man that was preaching the same message every day of his life and you could have wakened him in the middle of the night and John could have sat up straight in his bed and just began to preach what he would be preaching in any other setting in his life. He boldly declared that Herod, you're not living right and you're going to have to fix this. And in all of this, Herod refused to have anything less than the utter respect for, for John's stand for righteousness. and later, if you know the story of if you know the story here, you understand that he was very disappointed at the death of, of John, but nevertheless, he continued to have respect for him. While preaching, John grew the admiration of some, of course, but it also drew the wrath of others. and I'll tell you that when you stand for right, some will appreciate your stand, but not everybody's going to appreciate your stand. Jesus said, if you're hated, you're going to have to realize something. They hated me as well. And you're going to be hated for my name's sake. Amen, for my name's sake. But John did not allow fear or favor to determine what he was going to preach. Can I tell you that a preacher worth his salt is not going to wait till he gets to church, view the crowd, and then thumb through and figure out what he's going to preach. Amen. I'm praying about what I'm going to preach. I have no idea who's going to be here. Amen, but I say, Lord, if this is what you gave me, amen, I can't help who walked in the door because evidently you wanted them to hear this, and so I'm just going to declare the Word of God. Not the Word of me, but the Word of God. And so I pray often, Lord, help me to stand in this pulpit or in any other that I am given the opportunity to. Help me to stand without fear and help me to stand without favor. Now the fear of imprisonment and even death didn't cause John to waver. He stood strong. An example for each and every one of us. That unwavering faith that we are to hold on to. Can I tell you that it's worth holding on? It is worth standing for. He taught us to be strong in our faith regardless of the circumstances. And so here was John who was so consistent. He preached the same message in the wilderness that he preached in the palace. Amen. Amen. He just, wherever he went, wherever you saw John, wherever you heard him, he was preaching the same message. In the Old Testament, there is a parallel personality and ministry in that of a man by the name of Elijah. And I I mentioned Elijah not too long ago. Elijah was a man who took a stand for righteousness against the wickedness of the day in which he lived. When Elijah became weary in this battle, and I will tell you that you can grow weary in the battle. It wouldn't seem like... It would be all that difficult to talk people into going to heaven so they wouldn't have to go to hell. But sometimes it gets weary in just trying to get people to do the right thing. And if it wasn't If there wasn't a risk of that, it would have never been in the scripture to warn us to be not weary in well-doing. Because the the writer understood there can be a weariness that comes with well-doing. And so when Elijah became weary in the battle, when he became weary in the fight to stand against unrighteousness, God visited him there in that solitary place and it was God that reminded him that you are not alone. I believe I am preaching to people today who have been in those solitary places who have had those visitations of God where the Lord just reminded us by various means we are not in this fight alone. I'm glad for a God that doesn't mind coming alongside and just reminding us that we are not in this battle by ourselves. It's easy sometimes, shockingly, it is easy to get weary in well doing because doing right in the midst of constant wrongdoing can be exhausting to the human spirit. It can rob you of something. It can steal something from you or attempt to steal something from you. Amen. Be not weary in well doing for in due season we're going to reap Amen, but there's a contingency. We're gonna reap if you faint not. Amen, if you're gonna be the recipient of the harvest, then you can't let yourself faint. Amen, and so when I grow faint, I gotta say, Lord, lead me to the rock that is stronger than I. Take me to a tower that I can stand in your mighty shadow and let the power of your spirit and the power of your word refresh me in my time of weariness. God gave Elijah an assignment He told him, he said, I want you to find somebody to carry on your ministry. I want you to find somebody that will help share the burden of the ministry load. That man's name was Elisha. And uh, that that man we know as Elisha continued on and carried on uh, the ministry of Elijah. Now, here's a reminder, I think, for each and every one of us, and that is this that if we stand for God and if we remain faithful for Him God will put somebody else in our path to help strengthen us and to help lift the load. Amen. I will tell you today that I am very humbled by all the people of this church that helped lift the load. Amen. These services are not happening out of a vacuum. Amen. This is not just happening because we decided 30 minutes before time that we're going to have church today but somebody was working and dealing preparing and praying and studying and believe in God. Amen. Believe in the Lord. But beyond just the spiritual aspects of that, amen, long ago somebody came to make sure the lights were on and to make sure that the air condition was adjusted, to make sure everything was here. And long after this service is over, amen, there'll be a team of people that stay and make sure everything is cleaned up and make sure everything is edited and make sure everything gets to those who are not able to, to Attend our services live. Can you hear me today? Amen. If you just stay faithful to God, God will put somebody in your path to help you lift the load that He's called us to carry. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. I'm thankful for the people that God puts in our path. The Lord knows we're human, and the Lord knows from time to time. We're all going to need some encouragement. We're all going to need somebody to come along and lift us and strengthen us. Amen. But I know the Lord knows we need spiritual encouragement, but sometimes we need human encouragement. Amen. I'll tell you this. If you set your sails to only be able to blow when the winds of compliments, to only be able to move when the winds of compliments are blowing, you're going to find yourself in the doldrums amen but it doesn't hurt no one every now and then to, to, to share a compliment amen to the people that are working behind the scenes thank you for coming early and cleaning thank you for staying late and cleaning amen for people that are working behind the scenes to our musicians and singers amen we ought to encourage them from time to time Sunday school teachers we may or may not see the end result of their work but you ought to go by their class and say thank you I don't even have children in your class or grandchildren in your class but thank you amen Forgiven, because when we are faithful to the lord amen god understands that we need to be encouraged from time to time amen god gives us the camaraderie through the network of the church i told you not long ago about the prayer of brother mike williams he was blessing the food Amen Brother, Brother Williams is a very eloquent speaker In that prayer I was taking notes I, I, I had to confess I was taking notes of what he was praying Because one thing that he said We're thankful for all these people in this room And he said and Lord Because we know you We know them And can I tell you today Because I know the Lord God has brought so many wonderful people Into my life Amen So I'm thankful for the camaraderie of the church I'm thankful for friends and family And spiritual help that breathe hope and breathe life and they assure and underscore score and undergird purpose in all of our hearts. Amen. So here's John the Baptist and Elijah. What a, what a likely duo. They are standing for righteousness despite the social pressure to, to compromise. I want to tell you that the social pressure of our secular society, amen, is real. Yes, it is real, but it is not new. There has always been a pressure against righteousness. Corrupt leadership, that's not new. (laughs) That's as old as time itself. Amen. History is littered with people that have put pressure on people of God unrighteous people that have put pressure on the righteous people of God. And can I tell you today, and don't you get pompous or arrogant about this, but can I tell you that when some people act up in your presence, I'll tell you what it is. It is the righteousness of God in your life that reveals the unrighteousness, amen, and their life. It is your holiness that reveals their unholiness. Amen. And so when we experience pressure to compromise our faith, I'll promise you, if we will stand, God will come to our rescue. Yes he, yes, he will. According to Revelation chapter two, in the churches of of Ephesus, the Church of Ephesus hated the same thing that the Lord hated. And that thing that the Lord hated, and the Church of Ephesus hated was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You can read Revelation chapters two and chapters three, And in these chapters we find that the Lord spoke. To the seven churches of Asia Minor. These churches had been started after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And after the establishment of the church of Jerusalem. The church in Pergamos was targeted for subscribing to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is born from a man by the name of Nicholas. This man came from a very deep rooted paganistic lifestyle. Basically, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was this. It was simply a doctrine of compromise. Now, I'm going to tell you where we are today in the church world. Amen. This is exactly where we are in the day of the church world. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And we'll all just meet on the other side. A doctrine of compromise. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get on the same page? Why can't we all just do this? Or why can't we all do that? It was a doctrine of compromise. Irenaeus uh, in, in A.D. 180 wrote extensively about the Nicolaitan doctrine. And he described the doctrine very succinctly. And he described it as this. He described it as this in A.D. 180. Not yesterday. This was not last month. Amen. In AD 180, he described the doctrine of the Nicolaitans as this it is an overindulgence of the flesh, an overindulgence of the, of the flesh. In other words, we might say it today. If it feels good, do it. Don't worry about what it affects or don't worry about who it hurts. Don't worry about the end result of all of this. But if this is what you want to do, then just get after it. Amen. That is the the doctrine of an overindulgence of the flesh. Another post-apostolic leader of the early church wrote this about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and about it being a doctrine of compromise. He said in his writings, his writings imply that some of the church saw that total separation between the Christian church and... And the practice of paganism is not essential. The separation of the two is not really essential. It doesn't really matter that you divide one from the other. You don't have to have a line of separation. But I will tell you today, amen, that there has to be a line. And lines make all the difference in the world. Amen, lines really matter. Amen, from the early church records, it seems apparent that Nicholas of Antioch was immersed in occultism and Judaism and Christianity. Or in other words, he said, well, we'll just have a little bit of this, we'll have a little bit of that, and we'll have a little bit of the other. Amen, but can I tell you today, amen, that doesn't work when it comes to spiritual matters. Amen, we can't just have a little of this and a little of that. And I'll tell you this morning, the reason we're all sitting here so comfortable, amen, while the preacher's preaching about this is because I'm just referring to it as paganism and not one person in this house views views yourself as paganistic but can I tell you that when you start warming your hands around the wrong fire amen that is idolatry and it is sin and it is wrong amen that's why there has to be a clear and a cut and a distinct line hallelujah Hallelujah. We can't just believe what we want to believe and hope it all comes out in the wash. I can't believe what of the scripture I want to believe and hope it all works out in the end. I got to hear thus saith the word of God. Amen. That unless we are born of the water and of the spirit, we can't enter the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, light a fire in our pulpits. Oh Lord, light a fire in our home. Lord, light a fire in our heart and let us embrace the saith the word of Almighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. As an end result of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, as an end result of saying, you know, we can just compromise here. You know, there are some people believe in peace at any cost. No, what a dangerous thing! Yes, sir. I love peace, but not peace at any cost. Yes, Amen. And so, because of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, they had no problem just intermingling their belief systems. He saw no reasons why believers should not continue to fellowship those with those that were involved in cults and things of that nature. Occultism was a major force in the that warred against the early church. We don't necessarily refer to it as that today, but the spirit of it is no different. The spirit of worldliness and carnality and flesh is warring spiritually against the stand of the church in this very day. There were many other forms of idolatry in Ephesus, but but the worship of Diana was primarily an object she became an object of occult worship and in, in the city of pergamus there were numerous forms of occultism causing pergamus to be one of the most wicked cities in all the history of the ancient world in both of these cities believers were persecuted and they were they were persecuted fiercely by pagan religions they were forced to contend with paganism on a level far beyond what other cities were facing And so it was difficult for for believers to live a life that was separated from all the activities of paganism because paganism was the center, the very center of all these cities. And you know what? It's just amazing to me. It's disheartening, but it's amazing to me that, that in the most simple areas of life, areas of life that should be pure and pristine, we see the agenda of the world. Anybody here besides me just flabbergasted by what you see in some advertisements? Yes. There's 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 a less than subtle sinister message. It's everywhere. We live, you ready, in a very paganistic world. And the spirit of that paganistic world is pressing against the church in this very moment in this very moment therefore for the, these churches and these young converts it was not hard at all for them to slip in and out if I could say it that way of paganism because they were young in the Lord and and they were weak in the Lord and so they would be here a little and there a little and that same spirit exists today amen people will be all churchy on church days <laughs> And all worldly when it 's not church days, kind of slipping in and out amen, and and a lot of this comes from the pressure that people feel from the outside. I said this in our first service, and i, I don 't remind repeating again today, but through the years i 've just been flabbergasted by Men and women who, whose lives perhaps due to indul, overindulgences of sin have just completely run aground. Families uh, in trouble, marriages in trouble, lives in trouble, uh, all, all drinking and on drugs and all sorts of things. And I have watched families like that come and start coming to church. Amen. To receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Get baptized in Jesus' name. They got a job and they're doing better than they've done in months and their families are getting back together. And you know what? You know where the pressure comes from? The pressure to leave the church doesn't come from John that they're working with. The pressure to leave and go back doesn't come from there. It comes from their own families. I'm talking to you about something I know today. Amen, I'm not on some thin veil of something I read in a book. I'm talking to you from experience. I've watched family members that were not a part of the church just start pulling and prying and can't, and making fun of them and poking fun of how they're living and what they're not doing and, and, and on and on until they wear them back down. I'll tell you, there have been times I just wanted to march into the center of their living room and say, hey, do you remember where they were? Do you remember what they were going? through, their children were scattered their their marriage was headed for divorce court their brains were blown away on drugs and you would rather them be on a bar stool Friday night than on a church pew on Sunday morning I don't understand it I don't understand that kind of thinking but it is a reality in the world in which we live today and it was a reality in the church that we're talking about here today Oh, God, help us to realize how important it is. Amen. Can you imagine these converted Gentiles? How much more? Amen. They're coming under the the influence of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Oh, help us today. Amen. I believe that we need the Spirit of God to touch us. I want to read to you this morning from Revelation 3.16. Amen. It's still in your Bible. Amen. It is still there when the Lord said, because you are lukewarm, amen, because you won't get on one side or the other because you won't make up your mind or get in or get out he said I will spew you out of my mouth oh what strong words oh what a strong message but what the Lord was trying to say is I am washing my hands of the mindset of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that says you can have a little of this and you can have a little of that can I tell you we need to embrace all of God and let go of all of the world and say, God, I cast myself to you. I cast, I cast myself to you. Praise God. Praise God. Trying to live in two worlds will be the most detrimental thing that you could ever do. Because it will lead to a weak version of Christianity that has no power and consequently has no convictions. However, the doctrine of compromise can be defeated. By the unwavering faith in the word of God. The church of Ephesus was not perfect. No, no. They were not perfect. But God commended them for their hatred of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Because I believe that when we love the Lord with all of our heart as we should. That sin and unrighteousness and debauchery will just stir. and uh, It would just sicken, I believe, and stir a righteous indignation. The word of God will will convict us, and it should convict us from living a life of compromise. Amen. We had to move out of the middle, and we and the Spirit of God will force us to break ungodly associations. It will, it will. Amen. I'll repeat myself today, but I'll tell you that, that, that the moment it's time to break an ungodly association is the moment that they have more influence on you than you have on them. Amen. The moment that, that their testimony gets louder than your testimony, it is time. You don't have to get in the street and roll around and have a fist fight. Amen. But it is time to just say, you know what, I've got to distance myself. I've got to distance myself from this. John the Baptist was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Not just because he was unwilling, or not because he was willing to preach an unpopular message of righteousness. But because he understood, he understood some very powerful principle that that I must decrease so that he, Jesus, can increase. And I believe that a pure heart gives us an eternal guidance that we need to make hard decisions. Paul taught Timothy the importance to keep his heart protected. He said you need to keep your heart protected so your faith can stand strong. (laughs) Jesus declared John to be the greatest of all the prophets because he spoke with an uncompromising message which revealed the purity of his heart. Unwavering in his faith, that core conviction is what causes us to stand strong. John knew that his words before King Herod would Was going to confine him. He knew there would be consequences. If you just keep standing for right. There will be consequences. But he also knew the mandate upon his life. Was to preach the truth. Unwavering faith. I think gives us more than just a sense of purpose. I believe it gives us peace in our innermost being. It gives us peace that drives away the spirit of emptiness. John was... Certainly not trying to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. I, I know it would be really, really easy to write him off as just, well, that's just John. But he, he wasn't being controversial for the sake of being controversial. But I believe that, that righteousness causes us to confront sin. Anybody here ever had a parent that wasn't afraid to confront wrong? a father that says not in this house a mother that says not on my watch I mean you don't need a dictionary for talk like that you don't have to go google that you understand there's some lines and that gave that that righteousness the purity, the wholeness gave courage to confront wrong because I can tell you that If we think that tolerance is just going to bring some long-lasting happiness, it it won't. Amen. I'm not talking about zero tolerance. There's no such thing as zero tolerance, by the way. We need need some tolerance. But if you think if you just keep moving the line that after a while you're just going to get it all fixed and everybody's going to be happy, it's not going to happen. Because I'll tell you that wherever you move the line, that's where the battle gets. That's where the battleground begins. So you move it back here. Well, that'll just buy you peace for just a little while. But after a while, there'll be another generation that wants to know why we got the line right here. And now, why can't we move it back here? And there'll be another generation. And that's what happens. And after a while, things morph into something. And it's not even what it started out to be. Amen. Silence is not golden when you're talking about things that are wrong. Taking a stand requires a clean spirit. Genesis 3, the Lord said, He said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman and and, and there's going to be a difference, a spirit of indifference. And the word enmity means hatred or hostility and it's from the word enmity that we get the word enemy. You're going to be an enemy of this. I understand it's not politically correct today to say no and mean it. And to say you must, and mean it. But I will tell you that that the word enemy, the word enemy, needs to be a part of our language. We have, some, we should have some enemies. Amen. We should have some enemies. I'm not necessarily talking about literal enemies, but we need to have some spiritual enemies that we're not going to be holding hands with. This, you're not going to see me warming up to that. You're not going to see me nodding my head. Shaking hands with the wrong thing. Our commitment to our faith is based on a clean conscience. And, and doing right regardless, regardless of the fallout. David said, David said that we would swear to our own hurt. What's that mean? That means you tell the truth even if it goes against you. The three Hebrew young men understood that, that my lack of compromise is going to come with a price. But they stood Daniel understood that my lack of compromise in prayer daily toward Jerusalem is going to come with a price, but I'm still going to pray. Amen. That unwavering faith. The greatest faith of all is a faith that says it doesn't matter if God answers, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to live. I'm I'm just going to stand. I'm going to stand. Faith based on an immediate answer, that's not really faith. Amen. Amen. Faith that's based on a trust doesn't really need a response. We need that unwavering faith. I'm just going to stand and keep on standing. Amen. Unwavering faith. Sincere faith. In Luke chapter 7 and verse number 9, and I'm closing. John asked Jesus if he was in fact the Messiah. If I could just unveil this for just a moment. What John was really trying to say in his weak moment of humanity was this. If you're the Messiah, why am I in prison? If you are who you say you are, then what am I doing here? (laughs) And, And... And it's that age-old scripture of, of Hebrews 11 and 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, in John's case, freedom. The evidence of things not seen, in John's case, confinement. But you see, there's just something about trust. Trust doesn't require evidence. Trust doesn't require substance. Trust does not have a conditional requirement. Trust is trust. And so, I'm sure it's only happened one or two times in the course of all the decades that Brother Kenny and Sister Kathy Towns have been married, but there's probably been times that she was a little late coming home from wherever she was supposed to be. And there were probably days he didn't meet her in the driveway smiling. And good to see you. Where you been? And then here comes I got caught in traffic. Or here comes the sale was bigger than I thought it was going to be. Or here comes I just lost track of time. Trust says, okay. Trust doesn't say, let me see them receipts. Trust doesn't say, well, I'm going to make some phone calls and follow up on this. Trust doesn't require evidence. Trust doesn't require substance. It doesn't have a condition. It's trust. And it all ended with, I'm glad you made it home safe. I've got supper fixed. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to help you out there, brother. Trying to trying to throw you a bone. This place, this is the place where Job had to get. This is the place where Job firmly stood when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's not all of it. And I will maintain my ways before him. (laughs) I'm not going to get down here on the floor and roll around at the fool. I'm just going to maintain myself. I don't know what's going on. And and there's a part of me that would love to run to the mountain and scream, why? But I'm going to maintain my ways before him. Later Job would, would write these words in Job 23. I, I go forward and he's not there and backward I can't perceive him. On the left hand he doth work and behold behind I, he hideth himself on the right hand. I can't, I don't know where God is. You know, I, I'm just, sometimes I am just so taken by. Um, I want to say this right I'm not talking about people that just air all their laundry. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes I am so taken by people that are so comfortable in their skin to be transparent. Just to be honest. Some of the greatest help that I've ever received from other pastors and and other leaders have been people that had the courage and the confidence to say, you know what, I have been right there. Where I question everything I don't know about you But I find peace And I find consolation When Job says you know I just searched for the Lord Everywhere and I couldn't find him Because I feel like I've been there I prayed and didn't feel A thing I've read the Bible And Nothing jumped off the page it just seemed like God had hidden himself. But Job walked away and said this, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I will come forth as gold. This is all going to be an end. It's all going to come to an end. And I'm going to be a better man for it. Amen. I'll ask you to stand, but I, please don't predismiss. John the Baptist faced his greatest trial. I mentioned a moment ago. While he sat in prison on death row, he wasn't just being punished for 90 days and you'll get out and go back home all as well. No, no, not this time. John the Baptist faced his greatest trial when he sat on death row. And while he was sitting there in prison, Brother Darrell, he's getting all these reports of the ministry of Jesus. Man, people being healed, blind, seeing deaf are here and the lame are walking. The dead's being raised. All of this. He's hearing all this. All these reports. Now we need to remember this. That John paved the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ to even prosper. John is what the scripture refers to as the forerunner. He said, I can only baptize you to repentance, but there's one coming after me. He's mightier than, I'm not even worthy to tie the man's shoes. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. (laughs) And so he had fulfilled his mission. And I said it a moment ago, John said this. He understood this at one point with greater sense of clarity. I must decrease so that he can increase. But now it's time for him to decrease and Jesus to increase. And it's a little tougher to live it than it is to talk about it. And in John's humanity, we see this flesh come to the surface. And he wondered, if Jesus is really who Jesus says he is, then why am I in prison? So he sends messengers who went to Jesus. And instead of Jesus handling this in any other fashion I want to close with this scripture Luke 7 28 he said to them I say unto you among those that are born of women there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist (laughs) the Lord honored John for his honest question you go tell him not a greater voice that's ever lived not a greater man that's ever lived It has not been in vain. John, what you stood for is all coming to fruition. It's all coming to a head. Unwavering faith. Amen. Can we magnify the Lord today?
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.